Hey all, good morning. My name is Bates. Welcome wherever you are tuning in from, maybe from a Sunday group or you're just alone in, in your lounge. Uh, wherever you are, if you're tuning in for the first time, you're um, just checking out Christianity or you're checking out One Hope, welcome this morning. We really value being warm and welcoming. And, and so on that note, if you're a One Hoper, I want to encourage you to invite people to join uh, your Sunday groups or as you watch these Sunday sermons together. It's such a great place to gather around and enjoy on a Sunday morning. So this morning we're going to be diving into Sermon 6 um, of Ephesians Part 2. The church has a future and I'm super excited. We've reached a pivot point in the text. We are halfway through Ephesians. We've done 1, 2, and 3 and now we're diving into 4 and then 5 and 6 in the coming months in our Ephesians series. And it really is a pivot moment in the way, in the context, in the style, in the flow of this particular letter. So I'm really excited for us to dive into that over the next few months. And the title for my sermon this morning is Living in Unity. Living in Unity. And so that begs many questions, but I want to start with this question this morning. Can any one of you think of any particular issue that has caused division recently? Any particular issue that's caused division recently? Now, I don't think you need to think very long, right? There are many, of course, but the one that's just got so much media and so much attention and so much emphasis recently is the good old vaccine debate, right? To jab or not to jab, that is the question. <laughs> and so there's, there's many people on different sides of the debate, right? There's the, uh, the like advocates for vaccines. And then there's the adamant anti-vaxxers. And then there's a huge spectrum of people <laughs> in between, right? And that is how it is with any of these debates that are so polarizing. And uh, this debate has been raging worldwide, as we know. And even it's gained great traction within the church. And um, for me, I must say, this debate has once again just so highlighted how easily we let these kinds of issues divide us. How easily we let these things sneak right in there and just crack us apart and cause division. And now this is not the only issue in history that's done that. I'm sure we know. There have been many. There's famous ones. I think of the, and, and some of them are still ongoing, right? I think of the evolution debate. I think of the predestination debate. Um, I think of uh, the creation. Well, we've done that, creation. I think of the water baptism debate. Um, of adult first. These have been going on for years, and they generally cause division, and especially in the church. And so when we consider all this divisiveness, and the divisive nature of, of our context and our, our time, the sinfulness of people, it kind of begs the question, how is unity really possible? I know for some of you, you've been part of local churches where there's been horrible incidents that, that just don't shine unity, that don't shout unity, that shout division and brokenness. And so it does beg the question, you know, is this just theory or is this actually possible? Is it possible to live in unity. And so we turn to the pages of one of the most famous letters ever written to the church, written by the Apostle Paul, the book of Ephesians, the letter written to the church in Ephesus. And one of the key themes in the letter, as you've noted, and as we'll see ongoing, is unity. Unity in the church. The word one, the, the word one is mentioned many, many times in this book. And, and I think it paints a picture of hope for us, that there is a hope to live in unity in the local church and amongst local churches. 
And so let's dive right into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 this morning. You can turn there. It'll also be on the screen. Turn there in your Bibles if you'd like or on your device. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. If there's any doubt that the emphasis of this morning is around unity, there you have it. Seven ones in a row. And so for the sake of unpacking this text this morning, I'd really love to use the illustration of a fruit tree. And now this illustration is alluded to in many times in scripture, but the illustration, part of the illustration I'd really like to emphasize is around fruit and roots. And we're going to be looking at gospel fruit and gospel roots. And you'll see how the first three verses look at the fruit of the gospel and the next three verses look at the roots of the gospel. We reach a point this morning, as I alluded to earlier, where we move in Ephesians from gospel message, the content of the good news about Jesus, to gospel living. What does it look like to really live that out? What does it look like to live a life that reflects the doctrines and the beliefs of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And that's very clear, we'll see, as, as Paul alludes to in very, yeah, right in verse 1, he says, lead a life worthy of your calling. In other words, how do you live out these beliefs, this calling of being united to God? And so let's dive right in, and it's our first point is gospel fruit. What is, it, what is the fruit of the gospel in a person's life? If you live out the gospel, what do you get? So verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of, the, of your calling, for you have been called by God. I want to stop there for a moment. Uh, our Paul, Pastor Paul, alluded to this, I think, two weeks ago. But if you look at it, Apostle Paul, who writes this um, letter, he has something called moral authority. He practices what he preaches. <laughs> the man is willing to be put in prison for the sake of what he believes and how he lives that out. So when he says something, we believe it. And we're like, okay, we back you. We trust you. You're not a hypocrite. You live this stuff out. He's got genuine moral authority. He's a prisoner for the sake of these things he believes and lives. And so it's a wonderful place to start because as Paul transitions from, hey, this is what I believe to, hey, this is how you live it out. He's saying, I'm willing to be in prison for the way I've lived this out. Guys, this is how you live it out. He then goes on to talk about uh, the calling you have received. And so what is this calling? The calling has been unpacked in chapters 1 to 3, but it's basically a calling, a call to be united back to God. In our sin and in our, uh, our shame, we have been divided from God. And through Jesus, we can be brought back to God, united to Him. And that's what we're being called to. God saying, hey, 
my lost son, my lost daughter, come back to me. I've made a way through Jesus. Come, come. I think of me standing downstairs in my kitchen at home and if we just baked some fresh bread, which we haven't done in a while and we should do, but if we had, I think of me calling my son upstairs, hey Sam, come and enjoy the fresh bread. And if he didn't respond, he'd miss out on all the goodness and the, the joy that it is to have fresh bread together as a family. But if he came and responded to the call, he'd be able to enjoy that gift and enjoy that time together. And so that's the call that we've received and that God issues to anyone and everyone who will come. Come to me. I've made a way through Jesus. Be united to me. Be made right with me. And that is the call that Paul is alluding to here. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling that you have received and responded to. And when we do, it bears a certain kind of fruit. Those who have responded to the call live a certain way. That's what he's saying. He's saying when you've got a Christian, the fruit should be Christ-likeness. A Christian, the fruit should be Christ-likeness. Apple tree, apple. Orange tree, orange. Christian, Christ-likeness. And so changed belief over time will translate into changed behavior. Silly example, but if you really, really believe that Coca-Cola and its ingredients are not good for your health, you're going to start making decisions over time and change your behavior so that you stop drinking it. And for some of us, that's more difficult than others. I, I get that, but you know what I'm saying. That's the point, is that changed belief, true changed belief, uh, and as A.W. Tozer says, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. True changed belief leads inevitably to changed behaviors and changed attitudes of heart and changed ways of relating to others. And I don't think it's by chance that Paul starts with this of focusing on human relationships, on Christian community relationships, when he says, hey, this is how you live out the gospel. Its first implication is towards how we love one another, how we kind and gracious to one another, how we patient towards one another. It is crucial, vitally important to the Christian life and it honors and pleases Jesus. Our love for one another pleases Jesus and is a shining light to a dead and dying and desperate world that needs this kind of love and unity. And so Paul's worked hard, and he does this in many of his letters, to lay a solid gospel foundation. What is the gospel? Chapters 1, 2, and 3. So that he can go on to then, how do we live it out? If we don't have that foundation, all we have is just people doing really nice and good things, but it's dead moralism. It doesn't bring any glory to God. It doesn't please Him. It just makes us feel a little bit about ourselves for a while, but it actually ends up being impossible to maintain if it's not based on the gospel, and we're not filled with the Spirit of God, as Paul prayed and Nathan preached on last week, because if we're not filled with the Spirit and the power of God to actually live out Christian life and become more like Jesus, it's dead without the gospel foundation. And Paul goes on in verse 2, always be humble and gentle, be patient, Lord, how we need patience for one another, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And so we know this, guys. It's our experience of community. It's our experience of some of our families. That there's certain kinds of behaviors that build up community, that create unity, that foster healthy relationships, and there's some that aren't. And Paul illustrates or he highlights 
some of the attitudes and behaviors of Christ and subsequently of Christ-likeness, that of being gentle and humble, patient with one another, filled with love. These are the kinds of attitudes and behaviors that lead to life-giving, united community. Let me note on that that unity is not uniformity. It might sound like just playing with words, but it's not because Unity is when we're united around a common thing. We're aiming at the same thing. We're believing the same thing and pursuing the same thing. Uniformity is we all going to be exactly the same, look exactly the same. If you think of the silly example like a, a biscuits, you know, uniformity would be we all need to be a Mori biscuit. Unity is that whatever biscuit you are, we're united around the fact that we bring joy and pleasure to tea times. <laughs> and so that's unity. You can look however you are and even taste however you want as a biscuit, but biscuits... The, uni the unified factors that bring delight to a tea time. They don't need to look all the same. So that's a silly example about the difference between unity and uniformity. Jesus and Paul here is calling us to unity amongst one another. And we'll go on, and this, and this gives us, when we have unity, it gives us grace for variety. We'll go on in the, rest of, or in the next sermon in Ephesians to unpack what variety within unity looks like. And then there's a very strong section here, verse 3 that Paul, uh, or not section, even a little phrase that Paul uh, pulls out here. He says, make every effort. Make every effort. Do we get that? That's, that's quite strong. Every effort <laughs> to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And why does Paul say that? Because it's so easy to be divided. We need to make an effort to be united. Everything in our world and in our context tries to divide us. All these different debates, different thoughts, different uh, communities, everything tries to divide us. Paul's saying make every effort to maintain the unity. We know this and we know this from Scripture that a house divided against itself will fall. If you look at the broken homes around us, maybe you've come from a broken home. It's not united and it leads to d d devastation and destruction and just, it's not healthy. Making every effort to maintain unity. Note here, we don't create the unity, right? We maintain the unity. God has created the unity. We don't have to foster this thing up. We just need to maintain it. But boy, do we need God's help for that. And so that's uh, really vital and why I think Paul places such emphasis on this, making every effort, because we need God's help to do this. And we need to be intentional and deliberate around it. And just as Paul says that, he then goes on to the resources, the strength that we have to then go and actually live out unity. And he's going to do that in verses 4 through 6. Just before we dive into that, uh, I want us to pause and ask and or rather discuss this together. Here's the thing I want to discuss, I want us to discuss. Have you ever experienced any real unity in your local church or in any churches around you? Have you ever experienced any real unity in your church or in churches around you? Wonderful. I hope you could share some great stories and you know, really just encourage one another around what unity can and it does look like in, in the church community. Okay, so we've looked at gospel fruit. In other words, what does Christ-likeness look like? What does it look like to live out the gospel 
in our lives. And now we're going to look at the roots of the gospel. Paul's going to give us even, he's going to jump onto it again, the motivation, the strength, the inspiration for us to actually live out gospel unity. Verse 4, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. So Paul's going to go on here, and he does go on to highlight some fundamental, core, unifying truths and beliefs that we have as Christ followers, that we can unite around, that we can agree upon, that we can come around and partner together in and join him and go forward with him on his mission to reach the world for Jesus, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. We just don't do that when there's a whole lot of infighting, disagreement, division. We just stay within the four walls of our little church building and argue and fight and throw mud and apples and whatever else at one another. God is saying, uh, Paul is saying here, and Jesus encourages us to unite around these few things. And I want to dive into each one of them. And Paul's given us seven ones to unite around. And I don't think that's coincidental. As a Jew, seven, the number of wholeness, of completeness, and he's given us them. Let's have a look at each one of them for a moment. He says, there's one body. That's something we can grow upon. There's one church, capital C, lots of little local churches, ecclesias, small c, one church, one body of Christ. He is the head of that church, but there's one body of Christ. We can agree upon that. There's one spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. He is given to every single person who's a follower of Jesus. He's amongst us and in our midst as we gather together and as we're on our own. There's one Holy Spirit. We can agree upon that. There's one glorious hope for the future. Every single person who's a follower of Jesus. We look forward to the day when Jesus will return and, and there'll be the consummation of the times and he will bring all those who follow him together again and make a new heavens and a new earth and we'll live in glory forever and ever with him. We can agree upon that. Exactly how it's going to happen, there's disagreement. But we know it is going to happen. And so we can agree upon that, that there's one glorious hope that we all look forward to and it is guaranteed and assured. There's one Lord, our Lord Jesus, our King. He's our King. We're in His kingdom. What He says, we do. We can agree that He is our Lord. What He says, we do. There's one faith. There's one set of core doctrinal beliefs that we can subscribe to. And these are part of them. Some of these, uh, what's mentioned here. One faith, following Jesus, Christianity, followers together of our King. There's one baptism. Now, I don't think the scripture here is referring to water baptism specifically. We know that's been a great cause of division uh, through the history of the church. But I, I, I believe this, the scripture here is speaking about being baptized or immersed into the body of Christ. There's one baptism. We are baptized when we follow Jesus, when we're united to God. We are baptized into the body of Christ. We become part of his family. We become part of the big, the church, capital C. So we can agree upon that. We can agree most certainly and wholeheartedly if there's one 
God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so there's much we can disagree upon as individuals, as local churches between one another. And you know what? Sometimes I think we get sucked into these things. And the devil wins because we get so distracted and we get so pulled to the side and we get so much division and strife and pride and anger and it's just missing the point. Paul here in Ephesians chapter 4, he's highlighting some core fundamental truths that we can gather around as Christ followers, that we can be united in Christ and united in these things. And as we're united, we can come together as a church and be impactful on the mission that he's called us all to, to make disciples of all nations. These are things we can unite around. There are many things we can divide around. And don't get me wrong, you must be and you should be passionate around your convictions. You should But let's do it in the way that Paul advises, in a way that leads to unity amongst one another, in a way that is gentle and respectful towards others, in a way that is compassionate and caring, in a way that's full of love, in a way that is patient. Let's be those that are full of conviction and passion, but in such a way that leads to unity in the body of Christ and forward movement of the mission of Jesus. And so the question is, how do we then start? Okay, we hear you, Paul, what you've said to us. I hear you, Bates, what you've preached this morning. That unity is vital. It's important. And and in Christ, we have the resources empowered by His Spirit to actually pursue unified community. What's a a first step? This is the first step I'm going to take each day this week. And I want to encourage you to do this as well. The first step I want to encourage you to do is to pray this prayer each day. And maybe a number of times each prayer. Each day, Lord, I humble myself before you now. Genuinely and sincerely, Lord, I humble myself before you now. I want to encourage you to pray that prayer several times as we can see what it does in your heart. See how it grows love for others and compassion and patience towards others as we humble ourselves, as we come before God and we, we submit ourselves before Him and we're filled with His Holy Spirit. And we go and live out of that place in love and grace towards one another. Just as we've been going through this text and as I've been thinking about it and sharing, I thought, you know, just imagine, just imagine for a moment, we were part of a local church community where everyone was gentle towards one another in attitude, patient with one another, long-suffering, bearing with one another, where everyone was humble and sought the best of others first before themselves. Man, that's the kind of community I'd love to be part of. And Paul's calling us to this kind of community, and he's saying it is possible when we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, when we're united around those things that we can agree upon, and when we are loving and filled with the Spirit of God. When you've got the gospel in us, and those roots are firm, in the fruit that comes out, Grace, gentleness, kindness, uh, long-suffering, forbearance for one another, full of love. And in that space, we can have united community. And oh, what a sweet thing it is. Have you ever thought about it? When someone's looking in on the church thinking, hey, should I follow Jesus? Do you reckon they're more attracted to a divided church 
or to a united church? I've been provoked by that question this week. And as we have looked at this theme of living in unity, it is possible and it's powerful. When we have love one for another as Christ followers, it's beautiful, it's healthy, it's good for us, and it's good and it's a bright light to a world desperately in need of hope and unity and love. And Jesus enables us to do that. Let's be that kind of community, one hope. Let's be that kind of community as churches in Stellenbosch where we love one another, where we for one another, where we're gentle and patient with one another. I want to close this morning with a moment for response. And I want to ask you to stand wherever you are, uh, in your lounge or at home or in your groups. Uh, and we're going to close with a moment of prayer. And after that, we'll share communion together in our groups as we do every Sunday. And these are the two things I'd love to pray. There's a first one, and I'm going to be praying this for myself, a prayer of repentance. Where you've had a divisive attitude or thought or action that you've done towards someone else in the church, where you've been divisive and not uniting and bringing together in Christ, where there's been any of that, I want us to come with repentance this morning and just say, God, forgive me, Lord. I turn to you. And as we do that, that turning, I'm going to, I'm going to ask us to pray, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Empower us to be filled with love one for another. Let's pray together now. Lord, I repent of my sinful and divisive heart that always wants to put me first, wants to have, prove my point, wants to be right always. And Lord, I know it's caused division in some relationships in my church sometimes, Lord. I know it's caused hurt even with some friends, Lord. And I just repent of that, Lord Jesus. Turn away from that kind of attitude and behavior this morning and say, come and forgive me, Lord. And then we pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill us right now. Empower us, Lord God, to love one another, to truly not just love in heart but and mind, but in action, to be gentle with one another, to be humble in heart, Lord God, to be patient with one another and to be full of love making every effort to maintain the bond of peace that we have in you, Lord. Empower us, Holy Spirit, even as we go out from this morning, empower us to do that, that we would be marked as a church that is united, that is so different and various, but that is united in the gospel. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, guys. Enjoy communion together in your groups. Remember and celebrate this wonderful death that Jesus has died on the cross for us and risen again so that we can be united to God and to one another. God bless you. Have a great morning. We'd love to see you again next week. Cheers.